Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Now Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they stood or and they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the gospel of the Lord. I hope that uh, everyone noticed that we have begun doing Divine Service 1 instead of Divine Service 3, as we've been doing for quite a bit now. Um, And just kind of how you can track it in your head, um, Divine Service 1, probably every other week we'll have, this is the feast, right? Um, What we all have come to know and love. Um, But... What I'm more uh, preoccupied with telling you about today is just the reality of the struggle, not against um, the, the flesh of this world or uh, the rulers of this world, uh, but the, as Paul says, the cosmic forces uh, that are all around us, above us, and oppress us on a daily basis. Um, and we get the easiest... Uh, means of how this works just by watching Jesus today in the gospel. 
So he goes down to Capernaum, which is a city in Galilee. And it's one of those places where I can say I've been there. Um, Now, forgive me again, Jerry, for talking to you during sermons, but I think it's so cool that you as well have been through the Holy Lands and have stepped foot in places like this. But Capernaum is really, really an interesting place. Um, Not only because they have there the house where uh, Simon Peter's mother lived and, you know, was laying on her bed sick and you can visit it. It's ruins now, but it's kind of, you know, um, surreal to stand there. But they have the synagogue where Jesus would have preached and teached there. But now keep in mind... While you're there, you want all of this to be very beautiful and inspirational, that you're here in the Holy Land, you're walking in Jesus' footsteps, but you can't shake the fact that everywhere around you, everything is made out of basalt. It's like basalt or pumice. I'm not sure which one. Ken was trying to tell me pumice shoots out of the volcano, and... uh, Basalt goes through channels of... Okay. Anyways, it's black. It's black. Everything around you is black. Like, I don't know, it's the Industrial Revolution. And like, you know, chimneys are, you know, coating everything with just, you know, misery. Like every, like the stones are black. You know, basalt is black. It's volcanic rock. And so... The synagogue, imagine our church, but everything was pitch black. The columns black, ceiling black, floor black, pews black. You go to, you know, mom's house. You have these beautiful uh, memories of growing up at, at mom's house in Capernaum. And everything's black. Walls black, floor black. Uh, stones that the kitchen is made out of black. You go outside, the roads are black. The sand is black. It's horrendous. And I kind of feel like sometimes that is just how our lives are. We go out there and everything's black. It's all made out of black and uh, we can't shake it ourselves. Well, Jesus goes into this city made out of volcanic stone that's all black And he brings with him the word of God because he is the word of God by which the father created all things and holds all things together. But something's different about him. Prophets have come and gone with the people in uh, Israel, in Judea, in the lands. But not one quite like this who's teaching his word has authority. And he casts out, I guess, many demons here. But we have two instances where he's casting out a demon purposefully. And then he casts out a disease with the same verb as though it is a demon. But no, demons aren't just how the people of old times understood mental illness. Or how the people of old times uh, struggled to understand fever or disease? No, because Jesus both cast out a disease, but also a demon 
that talks to him. And by doing so, boy, do demons sure love to talk. And they say a lot of things, and they say a lot of meaningful things. They are some of the first in the scriptures to call Jesus the Holy One of God. They are of some of the first of the scriptures to call Jesus the Son of God, to call him the Christ, to know he was the Christ. Man, those demons know a lot. They even sound like us. We know Jesus is the Son of God. We know Jesus is the Christ. We know Jesus is the Holy One of God. What makes us different from demons if we both know the same things? I had a lovely discussion with one of the youth of our congregation, and he was talking about this disconnect of what he's learning in school. He was talking about how he's learning about something called the Enlightenment. It happened in the 19th century here in America. And what they like to teach in the Enlightenment, and we're still living in the aftershocks, let me tell you, is that everything's up here in your head. It's all about what you know. For all they knew in the Enlightenment, there was none of this heart talk, any of this soul talk that we know to be true, that we have faith is true. And so we start to throw before ourselves, demons know Jesus is the Son of God. We know Jesus is the Son of God. So what makes us different from those demons? Before we answer that question, I'd like to first step back and give you the one-sentence summary of what Jesus is revealing here as an epiphany. This is an epiphany what Jesus is doing because he is showing that he has authority over all things as creator of all things and ruler over all things, even the demonic. He says, be silent and come out. It's that simple. Jesus's words have authority. The only authority uh, from the Father who is in heaven, given his son, Jesus Christ. And so those words that I repeat from Jesus or the words that I use to preach only have authority from Jesus. And if I speak any other words that are not of Jesus, then it is only my own authority that I rely on, not something that I want to hedge my bets on. Jesus is trying to teach us that he rules victoriously over all things. He is seated and present in his church on earth in the word and later in the sacraments in baptism, in his supper. And I give those two things out to you by his authority each week in the divine service. Remember? Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ, 
And by his authority, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Trinity. So what does it mean if people don't want to or do not come to taste, to hear, to see Jesus? What does that mean? The Apostle John writes in 1 John, This is the testimony of God, that God has given us eternal life, and the, this eternal life is his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. He continues, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. If you stop hearing, if you stop listening, if you stop tasting God's word and sacraments, you will not continue to believe. And so I appeal to you, as your pastor, that if there is someone that you miss seeing next to you in the pew, if there is a family that brought joy to your face that you just don't see anymore, call them up. If it's an issue of driving, volunteer to drive them. If it's that they need a word of encouragement or a moment of reconciliation with their neighbor, be the person, be Jesus, his hands, his feet, his mouth, and make that happen. Because unfortunately, I found out as a young pastor that when pastor calls your house, it's like getting called to the principal's office. <laughs> and I don't want it to be like that. But if we really believe that Jesus is present here and we need him to keep on going then we need to think of how to get our brothers and our sisters to Christ here and receive his gifts. Because we remain under spiritual demonic authority, even though we're baptized, even though Jesus died and rose again. Because we live in the world, and the world will try its best to damage and pick at our faith. And so the devil tricks us into thinking we're under our own authority. We're not under the authority of Jesus Christ, so our heart tells us, our flesh. And the devil sees the faith, hope, and love, those chief virtues that we heard about in the epistle that maybe you had read at your wedding. And he replaces it instead, misbelief because of pride. False security in the idols of your heart. Stubbornness against authorities and pastors. The demons know that Jesus is the Son of God, but it doesn't do them any good. You know that Jesus is the Son of God, but that doesn't do you any good. What a demon can't do, what you can do, is believe that Jesus is the Son of God, worship him, 
Read his words each day by yourself as a family and believe that his death, his resurrection is for you. A demon can never believe that Jesus died and rose again for him. Because Jesus became flesh like you to die for you, not for demons, not for angels. Unfortunately, most people, as soon as they leave the church doors, the church at large I talk about, they go home and they move on. They forget everything that they heard about at church. They skip Bible class because God has nothing more to teach you. And they end up not humming the hymns. They end up not humming the liturgy as they work and study and chop up vegetables and microwave dishes. Instead, they scroll on their phones until the clock tells them to go to bed with nothing to prove for it. Dinner comes, bedtime comes. The Lord's Prayer alone is not even prayed as a family. But everyone is sad when the kids go off to college, never to return to the divine service. Right before we eat our meals, we have an inkling to say, thank you, God. Thank you for this food. Thank you for everything that you have done to bring this food to my table. But we don't. We could spend the extra hour and a half that we find at the end of the day talking to our kids, our spouse, our family about what Jesus means to me and how he changed my life, provoking discussions that mold our families forever. But we don't. We live like the atheist next door, only the atheist next door isn't wasting their time for an hour on Sunday morning. But on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he broke it, he gave thanks to the Lord and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body given for you. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' last will and testament was for us, for your sins to be forgiven, even though we're damned sinners. And that is the last will and testament that he took to the cross. And on that cross, though most of his friends, even his father in heaven, forsook him, he looked up to heaven and said, forgive them, father, for they don't know what they're doing. His holy wounds open up, touch your sin, and they dissolve forever. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, not just with words and mantras, but with real things that touch you and change you. The chains around your wrists and your ankles break 
as you're freed from the authority of the devil, demons, and you're given over to live under the new authority of Jesus Christ. Here in the divine service, we celebrate that. We confirm it's real, that forgiveness, that handing over to the authority of Jesus because we seal it again and again with another coat of glue. Each time we remember our baptism, each time we receive the sacrament, each time we hear a sermon preached, and we understand all of a sudden what those crazy stories were that were read from up here. And then we internalize the music, the scriptures, the gospel, the sacraments, and we bring them home and we talk about them and we read them and we discuss them and we sing them and we hum them. And the pure presence of Jesus Christ in the words that we pray and sing and hear in the body and blood that he gives us force us who are under the authority of Jesus Christ against our sinful nature to say you are the son of God like the demons do. Only Jesus died and rose for us and we can have faith it is for us. And so I end with a little bit more First John. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So let's confess him even at home, even outside these doors. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Doesn't just know he's the Son of God, but believes He's the son of God, and he is the son of God for you. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, and eternal life. And so John ends his first epistle, my sheep, keep yourselves from idols. Amen.